Once again, good morning. Please turn with me in your Bibles in the book of Luke chapter 11. And we will read together from verse 1 to verse 13. This is the last part in a sermon series with Christ in the school of prayer. Stand on your feet in honor for the reading of God's word. Now Jesus was praying in a certain place. And when he finished, one of the, his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. And he said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. And forgive us our sins. For we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us. And lead us not into temptation. And he said to them, Which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, Friend, lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey, and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within, Do not bother me. The door is now shut, and my children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his impudence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. And I tell you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek. And you will find, knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. And to the one who seeks, finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. What father among you? If his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish, give him a serpent? Or, if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion. If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him. May God bless the reading and the preaching of his word. You may have your seats. Uh, 
Let us ask the Lord to be with us and ask Him that the Holy Spirit would surely guide us as we learn about this pertinent topic, yet neglected in practice. Let's ask Him to be with us this morning. Our glorious Savior, we bow before you this morning. We do ask of you that you will be glorified among us. Jesus, we have come here this morning and we ask like the disciples would ask you, teach us to pray. And as we pause and we reflect, we ponder on this text, it is my prayer that your Holy Spirit will lead us, will guide us into all truth, that all of us will go out of this public place and we will go in our private domain where we will seek your face such that the fire that you rekindle within us from those secret places will be that which will come even in this public arena that we can together sing songs of praises of the answered prayers we have prayed for before you. So teach us to pray. Spirit of God, glorify Jesus. As you empower us not only to understand this text, but also as you work deep within our hearts. This Sunday we also remember the crucifixion, the death of our Master and our Savior Jesus. The communion. But one of those communion we desire to share with you is in this exercise of speaking to you. So lay your word bare before our eyes that we may see our own lives transformed, the lives of others changed, and the church of Christ in splendor and in majesty of the beauty of Christ adorned as she waits on her soon coming King, Jesus, in whose name we ask and we pray. Amen. With Christ in the school of prayer. As we've been looking at this particular topic for the last two weeks, we come to the section that is so pertinent, but also so key which I would say this maybe is supposed to be the first one of the three we have looked at, but because we are going through line upon line in the exposition of God's word, we desire to be faithful to the preaching of it. We've been learning as to what prayer is and what the Lord requires of us in prayer. But as we've been learning, or maybe you've also been reading about prayer before, the key question that we must ask ourselves every time we hear about prayer is this. Do we pray? Are you praying? Before you came to church, 
Let's take a time and reflect. Did you pray? J.C. Ryer would point out to say there is no duty in the religion that is so neglected as private prayer. He says and he observes and I agree and he says we live in days of abounding religion profession. There are more public places of worship now than there were before. There are more persons attending these places than there ever were before. Praise God for that. But yet, in spite of all this public religion, I believe there is a vast neglect of private prayer. What he is observing is this, to say we can have a form of godliness come on a Sunday here at church, sit and wait for the people who are serving in church to serve us. Publicly, we can demonstrate and display the form of godliness. But privately, we are found wanting. It is to that end, beloved, that I believe that there are thousands, thousands, who never utter a word in prayer at all. You remember Samuel, in the book of 1 Samuel, chapter 12, if you recall, when the people of Israel had sinned against God, just as a way of introduction, I want you to remember, Samuel had this passion upon his heart. He told the Israelites that I will continue to pray for you. He says, I will not sin against God by not praying for you. In essence, what Samuel had in view, and this is what I want you to to know. This is what I want you to, to have in mind. Samuel reckoned prayerlessness as a sin. But I must say this morning that prayer has become an acceptable, prayerlessness has become an acceptable sin in the church. It's okay. We eat, we drink, we sleep, we rise, we go forth to our labors, we return to our homes, we breathe God's breath, we see God's sun. We walk on God's earth. We enjoy God's mercies. We have our dying bodies ill, pinched, weak every day, right? We are men and women who have been appointed that one day we are going to die. After death we face judgment. And eternity is before us. But the sad reality is that we have no one word to pray to God. That is a problem. Now, what causes that?
Why don't we want to talk to this God? It is with this in view, beloved, I, I, I believe that what Christ is teaching us this morning, it's very pertinent. Because then if we do not, we said this last week, if we do not pray, we are showing that we are self-dependent. But with all this in view then, it is then imperative then that we, we need to have and embody those revelations that are given to us. How can we then move from complacency to a place of confidence? How can we continue to be a people that are as excited when it comes to prayer in the similar way we are excited with things that are more impersonal? You know what I mean? Things that sometimes even are more self-focused because we can spend a lot of time Consumed with ourselves. Men, long hours before the TV, watching news. My dear sisters, there are long hours we spend, long hours in the salon. Mm. Long hours, young men, in the movie theater, we're watching a movie that's feeding our thinking. And we don't complain. We find delight in those impersonal things. So then, as we look at this particular text, we have examined that in order for us to move from complacency to confidence in prayer, there is a need for us to have a revelation of Jesus Christ. That's number one. We saw and we have looked at that in the first sermon. But as you are going to be looking at this whole text, not only do you have the revelation of Jesus, but I want you to see here that there is the revelation of the triune God in this text before us. I want you to see here, there is Jesus, look at verse number one of chapter 11, Jesus, that's God the Son, You have verse number 2, the Father, that's God the Father. Then you have in verse number 13, the Holy Spirit. Do you see the triune God revealed in this text? How essential is that with regards to prayer? That's why we are here this morning. Because not only do we need the revelation, but Jesus Christ, God the Son, gives us the requirements. He stipulates as to how then should you, should I approach this God. The triune God reveals himself. The Father is the one we are praying to. The Son is the one who is giving us access by his blood. We looked at that last week. The Son is the one through whom we pray to the Father. We pray and we come to the Father. Everything in the name of Jesus. But not only is the Son, but the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of God, He is the one who helps us in our weaknesses. Romans chapter number 8, verse number 26. So then, as the world is lying to us, to move us so far away from this particular exercise, so noble. I would love, beloved, to tell you this morning, it is not just a matter of practice. 
It is not just a matter of ritual or religious duty. Number three on the list is that there is a relational dynamic to prayer. And that's what we are going to focus on this morning. There is a relational dynamics in prayer. Christ gives us the requirements, but in this particular text, for us to move from duty to devotion, for us to move from complacency to confidence in prayer, for us to move from a life that shows that we are so self-dependent, and to show that we are a people that are depending on God, we then need to understand the relational dynamics. Why am I saying this? Because prayer, simply put, is talking to a living God. If we may speak of prayer, irreducibly, prayer then is relational. It's personal. Unlike impersonal type of a relationship. God is a personal being. We are, we are not talking of a force here, like you, you see in Star Wars. May the force be with you. No, we are not just talking about a force here. We are talking of a real being, an absolute being, a person. In a sense then, prayer is a basic as persons relate to each other. Prayer then it will be regarded as conversational. It's coming to God, interacting with Him. It's not just an exercise that a few people, so-called prayer warriors, would go in the prayer wrestling ring where they will wrestle with God and they will be found to be powerful men and women of God. That's not what we see in the Bible. It's not this exercise reserved for few. No. We come, we converse with the Creator. Though I must say that we don't chart as peers. We come humbly acknowledging He's the Creator and we are creatures. He is the great Lord and we are his happy servants. He is the one who is sustaining the universe, ordering everything according to the counsel of his will. So we are coming to this personal God, which I desire us to know this morning. This almighty, infinite, holy God, one who made the heavens and the earth, reveals himself in this text. How do we see the relational dynamics in prayer to fuel your tank so that you can boldly go into the closet and pray to him? Or as you walk, mom, as you do your chores at home, as you go to that meeting, as you are about to make that crucial decision in your life, do you know that the gates of heaven, the throne of grace is open wide for you? This is the communion that we do have with God. How is that possible? Look at point number one. We have God, the Son, revealed to us in this text. 
Jesus. Do you see that? Who is Jesus? The relational dynamic of this man, Jesus. Do you know who he is? Let me tell you. He is our elder brother. Yes, he is. He is our divine elder brother. He is fully God. We've looked at this. He is fully man. He is the one who was there in the council of the Godhead as God was creating the whole creation. Jesus, our elder brother, was there. All things were made by him. Without him, nothing was made. Jesus. Our elder brother then became flesh, dwelt among us. us. Our elder brother lived a perfect life that we could not live. A divine elder brother. Jesus. It pleased God the Father. Look at Colossians chapter number 1. Colossians chapter number 1 from verse number 15 to 20. But because of time we are only going to look at verse number 19. Look at 19 and 20 of the book of Colossians. Listen to this. Jesus, our elder brother, for in him the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Now, because of sin, verse 21 of chapter number 1, we'll continue to say, you and I, because of sin, we were alienated from God. In other words, sin separates us from God. One of the marks that shows that you are a Christian is that now you've been brought closer to the Father. And how you demonstrate and display that you are one with the Father and you are in this family is that you will then pray. Not because of you. Because of your elder brother, Jesus. Elder brothers meant to set a good example. We have a perfect example. We looked at that the first sermon, didn't we? Now, maybe the religious aspect and the connotation of what prayer is does not excite you. But you have an elder brother who is setting an example for you. Like the parents would always do if they have two kids who are siblings. Parents would always compare, right? Yeah. Look. Can we do that? This elder brother number two, he's devoted to the father as a perfect high priest. There's there the relational dynamic there. He is presented as a high priest. We are then members, members, as it would, of his sanctuary. Can you see the relational dynamic? And this Jesus, who is here teaching these men, who is here coming and he's talking to these men, he knows very well that these men, according to the standards of their community as Jews, they are not qualified as priests. They are defiled in the eyes of their society. These men in and of themselves, they are devoid of even a religious lingo. They do not say hallelujah, praise the Lord every time. No, they don't. 
And what Jesus Christ as the elder brother and the high priest, what he is doing as a priest here, he is giving them instructions as to how then you approach this God. In essence, these men were also at this point in time distant from the temple. Can you see that? Needless to say, they were so distant from the holy of holies. Yet now no longer is the temple of God in heaven. No longer is required that the temple of God would be someplace, somewhere. No, now they are seeing God. He is tabernacling as it would. He is dwelling in their midst. The perfect high priest has come. What is he doing? He is teaching them on how to commune with the Father. And Christian, you have a high priest, Jesus. These men and women, as they stood there and they are asking, Lord, teach us to pray. They know they are the scum of the society. In now these men, now these men who are scum of the society, because of Jesus, the high priest, they are sons of the Most High God. All their lives, most of them were fishermen, right? They had learned how to swear when they had not catch any fish. Now they are taught the heavenly vocabulary. How to communicate with the very God who made the sea from which they were catching fish. And the waves of the sea are actually controlled by this God. I want you to see here the beauty of this text as Christ then is telling them as you come then to God when you pray then say Father it is more than just a religious lingo that is introducing them to. There is an implication that they are now in personal relationship with this God So he is then, as the elder brother, he is devoted to the father and he is teaching his younger brothers what to say. As a high priest, he is ushering his people into the holy of holies where sacrifices of praise, thanksgiving, supplication will be made for all people, even for those in authority as they pray. Do you know? 1 Peter chapter 2 verses number 9 says, You are a chosen generation, a loyal priesthood unto God. Once you were not a people, now you are a people. You have access to God. Once you had not received mercy, now you have received mercy. How is that possible? Because we have a divine elder brother. We have the perfect high priest. And this one, maybe the issue of brother and priest, does not ring a bell to you. He is the perfect groom. That's who Jesus is. We are his bride. The church. The language is teaching here, it's like a husband teaching the wife. This is how you say it, bay. Amen? 
He is so personal and so intimate with us. And as he is coming here and he is teaching these men, and we see something of that relational nature, not only do we see something about this Jesus, but let's spend a few minutes here to, to speak about the Father. Not only do we have the elder brother, but we have in this particular text the relational dynamic with regards to prayer. So the elder brother, the high priest, gives us access to come before the father. The elder brother, the perfect high priest, gives us words to use as we approach the father. And as we are coming before the courts of God, Christian, know this. You are not coming in the merits of your own. Maybe the reason why you are not praying, it's because you are trusting in your own niceness. If things are well in the day, then you will come before the Father. Maybe that's your approach. No, we are coming in the merits of Jesus Christ, our brother. Amen? Secondly, it's the father there. We have a father mentioned in this particular text. Do you see him? Look at verse number two. You see the mention of the father. He says, when you come, you pray, you say father. Let me just run you through as to what the character attributes that are presented from verse number two to verse number 13. This father that we are called upon and Jesus Christ is telling us to call, look at verse number two, we see he is a perfect father. So we say, hello word be your name. I'm going to come to that. He is not only a perfect father. Number two, I want you to see there, mark these words. He is a powerful father. Marked by the words, your kingdom come. By implication, he has a kingdom in place. He is reigning as king over all things. By implication, he demands your submission because he is a king. Two, number three, let's look. He is the provider. So we come to verse number three. We say, give us each day our daily bread. Not only is he the provider. Can you see again, verse number four. He is the one who pardons our sins. Forgive us our sins. Number five. He's the one who protects us. So we ask him, lead us not into temptation. Number six, what do we see? We see there that not only does he pardon our sin, but this faithful father, he is personally present with us. Do you see that? Where do we see that? We see in verse number 13. If you ask the Father, the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit is meant to be there that this Father will be personally present with us. Remember the words of Jesus as he was about to leave. He said, I'm not going to leave you as orphans. I will send another. Who is that? The Holy Spirit. 
the one who will lead you and guide you into all truths. He is the one who is going to remind you of everything I have said. But maybe you are doubting of his niceness. You are doubting maybe of his goodness. You are doubting of his perfections. He is a promise keeper. Look at verse number 8 going downwards. I tell you, he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend. Yet because of his impudence, he will rise and he will give him whatever he needs. By conclusion, look at verse number 9. I tell you, ask and you will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened for you. For everyone who to- who, who asks receives. And to the one who seeks, finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened to him. What do we see about this father? This father is a perfect father. He is a powerful father. He is a providing father. He is a pardoning father. He is a protecting father. A promise keeper. One you can surely trust. Maybe the earthly fathers have proved to be impure in your life. Look to this perfect father as to how he even reveals himself to us. And as the Jews would hear this, to a Jewish ear this will sound blasphemous. Just as it would sound blasphemous to a Muslim. Because by saying this, they would think that you are demeaning God to be this God who has condescended and has come to our level that he may have relations with people. But that is not the picture we have here. And that is not what we are seeing revealed in the Bible. He cares for us. Amen? The earthly fathers, there are two fathers presented in this text. I don't know whether you can observe that. There is the heavenly father, then there are the earthly fathers. One description concerning the earthly fathers, look at verse number 11. What father among you? Do you see? So it's the father, there is this other father who is among you. This father who is among you, he is actually good to some extent. Look as to how good he is. He too is able to provide when his kids would ask him things. Look at verse number 11. If your son asks for a fish, you do not instead give them a serpent. If your son among you, they ask you for an egg, you will not give him a scorpion. In essence, what Jesus is saying, earthly fathers, they have the ability to be good sometimes. But they are not good all the times. Earthly fathers are marked by one adjective. What is that? Listen to the words of Jesus in verse number 13. Earthly fathers are evil. He 
Yet they know how to give good gifts to their children. But earthly fathers are not powerful enough to change your seasons and your circumstances. Every fathers are not able enough to pardon you of your sins. Every fathers may be present personally sometime, but they are not there all the time. Some are even able to be absent for the rest of your life. Now behold the Father who loves you. The Father who desires to speak to you in His Word. The Father who desires you to speak to Him through prayer. If He was to send you a note, would it be, I miss you? Would it be, it was good to speak to you? Or would it be, it's been a while I heard from you? What will this Heavenly Father say regarding your prayer life? Do you know Him? When were you last? Before him. To be honest with you, he doesn't need you. You need him. Come to him as a daughter, as a son. Who has been purchased and bought by the blood of the Lamb. This Father desires to commune with you so much so that in order for you to be able to have access before Him. Because He is so perfect. So perfect that in and of your own righteousness and in your own niceness you cannot approach Him. This name that Jesus Christ is commanding you and I to hallow, to call upon, that this name must be glorified. It must be sanctified. As we lift up this name, we also are acknowledging of who He is. Because we know this. Names are not just given as mere names. And the many names of God in the scriptures, they provide for us an additional revelation of who He is. He is Jehovah Shama, God who is there for you. He is Jehovah Roy, God who is our shepherd. He is Jehovah Sidikenu, God who is our righteousness. He is the Jehovah Nisi, the Lord God, who is our banner. We harrow that name. And we come and we say, your name is a strong tower. We are running to that name because there is no safety anywhere else but to you. Hallowed be your name, perfect Father. 
We seek Him and we know that He is perfect. But yet in our perfections, we cannot, we cannot approach Him. So how does a perfect father, how does a powerful father, how does a providing father, how does he then bridge the gap? How does he connect the line so that then you can call him? Jeremiah 3 verses number 3, that you can call upon him and he will be able to answer you and show you great and mighty things that you know nothing about. Maybe the network, you're having a network problem. How then will you be able to call upon him? How then will you be able to seek him and to be able to find him? Even when everything seems so dark. What does this perfect father do? He sends his dear son. His dear son lives a perfect life because the father is perfect. His dear son shows us how powerful our God and our father is that he walks on the water. His dear son shows us how mighty our father is that even in the moments when the disciples are in the boat, the wind of the sea are hitting over the boat, he comes to the storm and says, peace be still. You want to know how powerful the father is? Look at what Christ is doing. Death that troubles our hearts, the sicknesses that are waging war against our flesh daily. What does Christ do? He heals them all. The sin that so easily entangle us, Hebrews 12, verses number 2, the sin that so easily ensnares us, the sin that demands that our souls must be Sent to hell. The sin that demands the wrath of a holy God upon our souls. What does he do to that sin? He takes it upon himself. He dies a death you deserved. You want to know how powerful God is? God is so powerful that even after his son died, after three days, his son rose again in victory over the grave. By his resurrection, your sins can now be forgiven. So you can say, forgive us of our sins. Do you see how powerful our father is? How is he pardoning sin? That demands punishment, sin, that actually hinders you to come into his courts. He crucifies his son. And in his son, and in his son only, the father, the holy and the perfect God, in his son, then he provides. You remember, God, Jehovah, Yiri, Jehovah, Yiri, God, who provides. How has he provided for us? Not just our daily bread, beloved. We needed more than the bread to sustain us today. We needed the bread of life to sustain us, even for the next life. Has the father done that? 
Yes, he has. How has he done that? By crucifying his dear son, slay him there on the cross. It pleased him to crush his own son. It pleased him to condemn his own son. It pleased him to cast away his son so that you may be brought in. He was rejected so that you may be accepted. The line was cut in between the father and the son. The son felt forgotten. Remember? Eli, Eli, Lama Sabah, Katani, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why? So that you might be accepted. And not a coincidence. The curtain in the temple was torn from top to bottom. Why? To show now that access into the Holy of Holies has been given to the sons and the daughters of Adam. It was for communion that Christ died. It was for prayer that Christ had to be crucified so that you then can boldly, humbly bring your petitions before the Father. A perfect father, a powerful father, a providing father, a pardoning father. But this personal father is personally present with us. In his word here, we see him, we hear him talking to us through his Holy Spirit. In his son, we see the beauty of the father. And as we come to this table... You remember Jesus? As often as you do this, you are proclaiming my death until I come again. What is he coming to do? He is coming to dwell among us. To be personally present with us. Revelation 20. Then he, the good and the perfect father, will wipe away every tear from our eyes. Death shall be no more. Why? Because he will then provide for us eternal life for the death we did deserve. Therefore, Christian, you have every reason to come before this father. Pray to him. How often? Without season. Whether you eat or you drink, whatever you do, things are going well, Go, pray to him. Things are not going well, go, pray to him. If somebody in the church is not doing well, pray for them. So join us every morning. We meet there at 20 to 9 to meet together, to pray to this father. Every last Wednesday of the month, we meet together to show that, Father, we are not wise in our own strength or wisdom. We need you. Set time for your family to pray. Switch off that TV, pray. Switch off that phone, pray. Move away from Facebook, pray. Move away from your WhatsApp statuses, pray. The Father is looking for you. You may have a form, but maybe you've lost your relationship with Him. Come to Him. The older brother is calling us. Come to me, for you are weary and heavy laden.
and I will give you rest. Let's pray. Our glorious, eternal Savior, our hearts are glad to have a perfect brother like Jesus. One who has gone before the courts, has accomplished a work we did not at all deserve. Lord, we confess we have been so self-dependent. We have not trusted in the work of your Holy Spirit. We grieve him many times. We quench him unceasingly. Yet now, oh, how we ask, teach us to pray. Show us our needs. But more importantly, show us how powerful you are. The needs we have in our homes, the needs we have in our hearts, the needs we have in our community. You said, my house shall be called a house of prayer for many nations. But you've turned into a house of robbers. We have robbed you of your glory. We have robbed you of the power. We have robbed you even of the very privilege we have to be able to come to you. We trust in our own righteousness. This morning we desire, even as we approach this table, Grant us joy anew that as we partake this communion, we will, O oh God, embark on another journey of communing with you and you. So work in us that work only you can do. There are some who don't know you as well. Sinners in need of a savior, they too, we pray that they will know your mercy, available at the feet of Christ. In whose name we ask, may God's people say Amen. May I invite the men who are tasked to come to the table.